Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menas, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, who I gave the Boxing Day test and SCG test off, Gav Joshi. Gav, welcome. I hear you've been surfing and golfing and having yes, a good time. I have been, yep. Yeah, it's, it's holiday season, so, um, yeah, I was... The, the beautiful world of you know streaming and digital digital presence allows you to watch cricket wherever you are. So mm. I still have my eyes on the cricket, but um, yeah, I, I wasn't at the since after a while I haven't been to the SCG, but um, especially for an event like David Warner's farewell test. But um, happy yeah, New Year, you. importantly to you, Menas, and thank you. Let's hope we have a big twenty twenty four. Uh, I hope so, yeah. I was hard at work over the Boxing Day and SCG tests, covering the tests. And, um, you know, it was a pretty good series in the end. I think we got a lot, some lot more competitive cricket than we were expecting. And I think Pakistan can leave with their heads held high that they, um, you know, earned the respect of not just the Australian team, but I think the Australian public um, saw some really talented cricketers from that country. Yeah, absolutely. Look, after the Perth test, I think we have been exchanged a couple of messages and we're like, oh, dear, oh, dear, this is going to be a nightmare. It ended up being 3-0, but, I mean, look, we all know about the drop catches, but I think in in those periods, and if it wasn't for someone like even a Pat Cummins, who knows, Australia still might have, it might have been 2-1. Uh, I think, you know, Pakistan stood up, given, you know, their, you know, the team, especially the fast bowling unit was hampered. Uh, you know, Shane Chaufri didn't play the match. Uh, Nassim Shah didn't get out there. They don't really have a quality spinner. So given all that, I, I think they stood up to Australia pretty well. There's some, um, I guess the positive for Australia is despite, you know, Manus and um, Smith having minimal impact, Australia still kept winning. And I think that's pretty much of what 2023 was like. It wasn't the most productive year for those two, but Australia still managed to, we can say it, conquer the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Pat Cummins bowling had a lot to do with that and some substandard fielding from the, the Pakistan team. <laughs> but you spot on. So Australia starts the year the number one test side 
the fifth-ranked T20 side and the second-ranked one-day international side. So it's a, it's a great start to the year being back at the top of the test rankings and fittingly so as world test champions. So let's get into the news. The, the weirdest story to come out of the SCG test was um, the missing baggy grain of David Warner. Now, I've got an update for the listeners. Okay. Um, he was on another podcast, the El Shito podcast, and he, um, he, he actually is mystified at how the Caps ended up in the team's storeroom because he insists that they searched it thoroughly. So I'm still um, working on a theory that this is a massive baggy green gate. This is Nixon levels of cover-up. I think yeah. someone has pulled a prank on David Warner, it's backfired, and then they've sneakily got it back into the team room. And, yes, I don't think this mystery will, will ever really be solved until maybe one of the pay- players comes clean. You don't think there was a bit of a um, PR stunt involved in all this to get more attention with David Warner? No? No, I don't think so. I don't think he needs it. I, I think yeah, true. Well, well, I, I just, uh, my, my working theory is a player did it and yeah. it, the story just got out of hand. Like they were expecting yeah, uh, Warner to, to do a dummy spit and instead he went on Instagram and TikTok <laughs> and begged for help. Uh, that Yeah, I, I think that's a good shout, I, I think. Who, which Australian player do you reckon it was? Uh, I think everyone's saying Mitch Marsh. Dan Cherney, welcome to Quick and Unfiltered. How are you? Yeah, well, guys, sorry for some technical issues earlier, but uh, great to be with you. Uh, so we've got Dan Cherney here from Code Sports. And, you know, Dan, what's your working theory on where David Warner's cap went? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it went very far at all. I think... Um, you know, what do they say when we talk about conspiracy versus cock-up? I think usually it's a cock-up, you know, nine times out of ten. And uh, I think, uh, I just think it got um, misplaced. It was in a bag. Um, they, they didn't look closely enough. They thought it was another bag. But, um, you know, they've got so much gear. Uh, I think it was with them the whole time. And um, they just didn't find it. Like, you know, we've all lost things in our lives. It happens all the time. It just happened that it was a particularly high-profile case. And David Warner probably took it a bit too far into a blaming Qantas, one of Cricket Australia's biggest sponsors, which forced <laughs> Nick Hockley into a bit of uh, damage control. No no one-on-one exclusive with the logistics manager, Dan? <laughs> I'd be very happy to have a chat with uh, with him, um, the team security <laughs> staff or manager or that, but uh, no, I haven't quite been able to... to uh, they've been pretty protective <laughs> of, uh, of those staff, as you can imagine, Gav. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I, I think it was a player. I think a player played a bit of a prank and it got out of hand. That's my working theory. Who, who, who would that be, though? Everyone's well, Mitch Marsh. Everyone's, yeah, I think there's a few who might have engaged in a bit of shenanigans. Travis Head, maybe. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, Dan, how are you? I'm well, guys. Yeah, very well. Good to, good to be with you both. So you've been following the team around all of 2023. Um, so you've had quite you had quite the year. Uh, where did you go? Did you go India, England, World Cup? I didn't do the India tour, the, the Test tour, but uh, did um, well, certainly watched a lot of it uh, from uh, from back home. And then yeah, yeah, it was in India for the whole tour, including the World Test Championship and then the Five Ashes Test course. That was a solid two months in India as well. Um, yeah, all the home tests that they played last year. So uh, saw a lot of uh, saw a lot of the Australian uh, men's side. 
Excellent, excellent. All right, so next question. What do you think is going to happen with um, Steve? Who's going to be the next opener? Dan, I'll start with you. Who's going to be the next test opener? <laughs> oh, look, if I knew definitively, man, is, uh, I would have uh, run with it already. Um, and uh, but, but I, I don't. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, as we, as we sit here at um, you know, 10 a.m. on uh, on Tuesday, the 9th of, bit after 10 a.m. Tuesday, 9th of January, 2024, uh, we still don't know definitively. And uh, and those close to the situation, um, to the best of you know, to the, from what I'm told, don't know either. So I think look, we're going to find out in the next 24 hours. I would imagine from here. Look, um, if I had to make a definitive call right now, I actually would be leaning towards the Steve's in terms of what I think will happen. I'm, I'm you know, this is only an educated guess, not not backed on anything with um, and a bit of a gut feel, not not on any you know definitive knowledge. I think the Steve Smith thing uh, has legs, and just because it gets them out of a jam, I think they're very keen to get Cameron Green back on the side for, for obvious reasons. Um, I mean, you know, he is. Well, I know he didn't absolutely set the world on fire. He, record's still pretty good and um, I think one thing about the, the Cameron Green versus Mitch Marsh discussion that gets a little bit lost and you know, it, it didn't matter in the end during this Pakistan series because Australia ultimately won it pretty pretty comfortably but um, Green just offers him a lot more with the ball than Mitch Marsh and uh, especially if you look forward to India next summer and I, know, I don't think they have to do um, I don't think they need to be making calls purely with a view 11 to 12 months ahead but uh, uh, no, I, I think Green is, is a is a serious test bowler. Whereas I think Mitch Marsh, at this stage of career, is more a part timer, um, and, and it's quite a big, um, you know, quite a big point of difference. So, I think any chance they can get to, they, they can use to get Cameron Green back into the side, they will take. Um, and I think Steve Smith is the only one of the incumbent top six, or, you know, top um, or three to six batters really, who who seems keen to, to move up to the opening spot. I think it's uh, it works. You know, it's not perfect, but I think it works reasonably well. And, and it's not as though you're, you're sort of removing peak Steve Smith from number three or number four. You're removing a Steve Smith who has been on a gradual decline probably for you know, four or five years now since the, his peak was um, the 2019 Ashes and then maybe that was the year or two leading up to his suspension. He's, uh, he's not bad anymore. Um, he's, still a very, he's still a good player, but uh, and I think if they can put him into that opening spot, they can maximise what they have. Dad, just want to ask, I mean, I think a couple of the comments, I think, from uh, Andrew McDonald were, you know, that Australia or even world cricket have produced in sense of unorthodox openers. I mean, you know, Shane Watson sort of started lower down the order, came up, you know, it, it was been Kawaja. And then, yes, he did open in a few games in sort of, you know, first class cricket and, and then came up the order. Justin Langer started at three, came up um, and modern day cricket has changed. Um, and, you know, Mitch Marsh, pretty much, you, you saw him sort of being five and six and even in one-day cricket batter three now. And, you know, Andrew McDonald's played a role, Pat Cummins has played a role. How much of those that, that discussion is important in terms of going towards sort of not the traditional way of Cam Bancroft, the Renshaw method, but the almost the unorthodox way, which is the Cam Green or Steve Smith method? Yeah, look, I think ultimately it's got to be a, a case-by-case basis. I, I don't think... You need to have any blanket rules here. Certainly, look, I think what we've seen with guys like, um, you know, David Warner, I mean, for one, you know, he, he didn't start as an opener um, in, in first-class cricket. Um, I don't know, he did have some opening experience by the time he got to the test side, but, uh, 
he didn't start as an opener, and, and you're right, Shane Watson playing as another good example of guys moving up. So, like, clearly there's been plenty of movement over the years. Uh, and then it's worked the other way. Someone like Mike Hussey, who was an opener, ended up batting mm. in the middle order. So um, I think it's, it's you know, horses, of course, whichever cliche you want to use. Um, I think they're... I think there are specialist parts to opening, but I don't think it's... It's not like you're a sort of... You know, it's not like bowling leg spin. You know, it's not like they're asking... Um, it's not like they're going to, uh, to Cameron Green... Oh, mate, can you actually be our, our leggy for this test? You know, or, or yeah. Steve Smith actually does bowl legs, but you know the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. It's, it's not it's not trying to get a guy to completely reinvent their game. They are overlapping skill sets in which there are some slight variations, but I suppose you can argue that, like, if you're going to pick the same openers to bat in India or Australia, well, how is that any different to you know, a guy batting four versus opening? I mean, they're, they're similar skills... They're not completely overlapping, but no two pitches are the same. Uh, Smith has, for instance, Smith has you know, quite often come in to bat relatively early in the innings. I suppose obviously the higher up you bat in the order, the more likely you are to, to come in at, you know, in the first few overs and, and face a pretty new ball. Um, but look, the white ball stuff, I think, is a bit different. I, I think the, the white ball acts differently. It's just such a different mindset. You know, survival is only part of the issue. You know, yes, yes, you want to survive, obviously, but it's you know, scoring a good clip is a, is a huge part of it too. So, I think that, yeah, I think that can have a little bit of weight, but I, I'd be reluctant to place too much weight onto that because I think they're just such different different skill sets. Well, I mean, I guess you mentioned, you know, that if it's a case by case basis. I mean, remember last time India were out here, Matthew Wade opened the batting in. I think it was two Test matches. So. You know, and I don't think Wade is ever open um, uh, up the top. But yeah, you're right. But Menes, I'm going to come to you. If you mm. were the selector, and thank God you're not, um, <laughs> who, who would you pick to open with David? Well, I think uh, they're uh, going to pick... replace David. Miller. Yeah, I think so. I think they're going to pick Marcus Harris in the squad. So I don't think we'll actually know who the opener is until probably the West Indies Test team is announced. And I would go Steve Smith. I think if the, the telling thing for me is, you know, I'm going to get a bit philosophical here, but life is all about attitude. And Smith wants to do it. And he's also our best batter since Bradman. So why wouldn't you give him the challenge? And I actually think it'll suit his game. The field will be up. There'll be more gaps. The ball will be coming onto the bat nicely. And I think it's a really good opportunity for him to kind of reinvent himself in a way that Kawaja did. And... Um, you know, I think Smith just wants to make big daddy hundreds and he wants to get in there early and, and, and get on with it. The other question, guys, and Dan, is if Cameron Green happens to bat at number four, which means he's probably going to be on the field for a longer period of time, is his body going to sustain it? Does that mean is he going to be able to bowl more overs or less overs? I mean, that's the big question. I know uh, in the IPL you opened the batting and there were some concerns that you know, in terms of his longevity, that if, if, if he opens the batting in, say, T20 cricket, and then he has to bowl, and he's on the field for potentially 35, 40 overs, that's a lot of work for Cam Green. And given that, you know, Australia want to wrap him up a little bit on cotton wool. No, and, see, and see, I, yeah, I think it's Does he bat at four? Because there has been yes, concerns. four or five. So, uh, or, or does he come down? Do we move Travis Head up? I don't, I don't know. I think there's a bit doubt from what I've heard that, 
number four to be able to do all the workload might be asking too much of Cam Green. What do you think, Dan? Oh, look, I, 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 get, I certainly get the, the perspective. I think it's an interesting point. And look, the all-rounder is, I think ideally, yeah, in an, all things being equal, you want your all-rounder at six, or around six, because it, it does allow them just to, um, you know, you look at probably history guys like Flintoff and, Callus um, is a bad example, but Callus um, probably should go into well, it. But actually, Callus is, yeah. well, is a good example. Dan Callus is a good example. Like he, he's actually the green prototype. Yeah, but yeah, he, he did he, play a lot, a lot in that era. I mean, as when there was no T Twenty cricket, you know, there was yeah. no franchise cricket. So I think that's a big difference now. He, he also had, you know, I suppose he also had incredible bowls around him, which I suppose Green, you know, yes. most does as well. Look, I think, look. Four and six. I mean, you're still batting. You know, it's still a heavy duty batting role, and, and I, um, you know, four is sort of more heavy duty. And but he has done it for WA. Um, mm. I think ultimately, in terms of managing Cameron Green, it's not probably as much where he bats; it's how much he bowls. Um, yeah. And I think the fact that they've got Marsh in the side as well at the moment, whether you know, however much his work, Green's workload in theory increases by moving from six to four when he's playing Test cricket. It's counteracted by the fact you've got Marsh there as an extra bowling option. You can take a bit of the load off as well for all mm. of them. Um, even though I wouldn't be wanting, I wouldn't be relying on Mitch Marsh's bowling, but he's a very handy option to have as a, you know, he's a very good sixth bowler. Um, then, and then when you're looking, Travis, if Travis Head's your seventh bowler, you're in a pretty good spot. Um, but uh, look, I think um, I'd be, I think with Cameron Green, the workload issue is more about it's not so much in matches cumulatively about, about how much cricket he's playing and how much time he's spending mm. on the road um, and the IPL and there are broader issues which while Cameron Green is sort of the prototype because he's this generation and he's you know instant millionaire in the IPL and all that um, and you know he's going to have to live this, this for the next 10 15 years have to I'm mean, like it's a horrible affliction that he's got but you know he's going to be he's going to have to deal with this, these challenges for the next 10 to 15 mm. years pay me 3 million dollars um, a year for 6 weeks work <laughs> Terrible. Exactly, it's a whole horrible poor guy, but um, but I, I think ultimately there's a lot of guys that are going to that are already and going to have to continue to balance, you know, how much cricket, when, what they choose to play, what they don't choose to play. We saw Pat Cummins, um, you know, forego the IPL money last year, um, and Mitchell Stark for a long time. It's clearly paid off from a team performance perspective. And um, and they've ended up getting the rewards the other way. So look, there's, there's a couple. Of, you know, they're, they're, they're connected discussions, but I think there's some important distinctions to be made. I, I, I guess in, in the long term, you mentioned Cameron Green. I mean, you look at you know Shane Watson um, and Mitch Marsh, two examples. You know, both guys who started off bowling around 140 clicks, and I mean, Australian cricket went through that Darren Lehman phase where he actually wanted Mitch Marsh to bowl at 140. Um, what do we do with Cameron Green then? You know, like, it, it, does he turn into a bit of the uh, Mitch Marshall or Shane Watson type bowler in another five years where he bowls Dibbly Doblers at 125, 130? So, is that something that gets considered now, or is that let it be, let, let, let the kid just bat at number four and then we'll look after his body later on? Uh, I, I think you just have to have to wait and see, um, see how it goes. I mean, injuries. You know, around, and he's, he's had injuries um, earlier in his career. He's sort of he's been had a pretty good run for the last little while, maybe because he hasn't been playing that much for the last six months, particularly. 
I mean, having said that, it was injury, of course, that allowed Mitch Marsh back into the side uh, ahead of the heading league test. Uh, oh, look, I think it's just got to be an evolutionary thing. Um, guys tend to slow down as a rule, um, but they can sl- uh, slow down at different rates. You know, Mitchell Stark has slowed down a touch, but he's still very quick. Pat Cummins, likewise. Josh Hazelwood, probably, you know, it's never quite as quick as the other two, but um, he'd probably slow down a bit too. But you can still be very effective at, at um, yep. well, any of these paces, particularly in Australia. I think you can still be pretty effective at um, in, in, the, in the mid one, mid to high one thirties. And if they can continue to get that out of Cameron Green, I think it's pretty pretty handy. And the thing with Cameron Green ultimately is, while his pace is important, it's it's the, it's the height, it's the bounce. I think that's where he has that real point of difference because you know, I, it's it's not. I know this hasn't been documented much, but he's quite tall. Um, <laughs> is and, he? Uh, Easy. <laughs> Do you reckon yeah, Mendes yeah. has it covered? Oh, be touch and go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe with a couple. Uh, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I agree with Dan. But don't you think? That, I think the Australian team's getting to the point where they just want to. They're ready to just let him go. Like, let's see what we've got. They've, there's been enough mucking around, and you know he's been in and you know he's been in and out of the side a bit. Now they're just ready. Let's just see what we've got. And, you know, I think more to the point, because Pat Cummins is a fast bowler, he just wants the support. He just wants someone to take overs off them. I mean, they're obsessed with workloads and not getting tired and all this stuff, you know. So I, I think I think they're just going to let him go. I think they're going to just say, you know, get the stud out there and let him run the race. Well, certainly, if you look at his... Um... I can't remember quite what it was. I, I, I think his overs were, have, have gradually increased in Test career. I know that there was that first summer in India where he was really it was real kid gloves, mm. um, and, and he was almost more a part time. And he famously didn't take a wicket. And then England were out here the following summer for his second series, and he bowled well, but he didn't need to bowl that much because England were being routed so so yeah, frequently. Um, exactly. <laughs> um, but he, he was bowling quite a bit um, in the World Test Championship finally. He bowled quite a bit in India um, yep. where when he once he got back, and then he bowled quite a bit in the World Test Championship final. Uh, and and Lords. The first couple of that. And Lords, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Lords, he had to bowl because of course line went down. So, um, so that we're actually starting to. I think the shackles are off. I mean, he's never going to bowl the same overs as a frontline quick, and, and you wouldn't want him to. Um, you know, over a long period of time, I mean, he's not. He's not He's never going to, you know, he's not going to take the new ball, uh, realistically, because, um, no, I, but, you know, I think if they can get yeah. 10, or 10 to 12 overs yeah. a day out of him, I think it's a very good result. I, I think I think we're probably all agreeing that Cam Green has to be in that team. Uh, you know, and he's tall, and he's, he's a tall bloke, and he's got lots and of money. Next week, it's just a matter of who goes and uh, up the top. I don't think, I think he's got good enough technique to be an opener, but... Uh, probably mm. Smitty, I think he'll probably get the job. I, I, I'm, I'm leading towards that side as well. All right, thanks, Ken. Now, I've got, I've got three rapid-fire questions, Dan, before I let you go. Um, first question is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad were the English fans during the Ashes? What is bad? <laughs> is uh, 10 bad is 10. Bad is 10. 10 is bad. 1 is um, well-behaved. I'll, look, I will give an answer, but I'll just preface by saying that there was a real range. You know, the Lords was, just, you know, the, no, really. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, I, of course. The Lords, yeah, the Lords and the Longer, and that was just some of the stuff that happened there was a genuine disgrace. But, but then there you was know, if you're marking the, 
the fan base as a whole. We get it. Like, as there are some nice English people. If you look hard enough, collect- you find one. Oh, as, as a collective, I would say uh, uh, six and a half. Six and a half. Wow, okay. Yeah. Excellent. You were there. So, uh, okay, I'm glad. You know, from a distance, it looked like, like eight and a half, nine, but... Uh, well, I'll, I'll just I'll give a quick I'll give a quick anecdote to sort of sum up where and it was I completely understand why the sentiment was like what it was in Australia because I could I could feel it from from back from where you know I was very lucky to be there but there was a mm. moment the day before so it was the day before two days I think it was the day before the Headingley Test and um, Leeds is not a well you know Central Leeds is not a massive place and I was just walking around I wasn't staying pretty close to the main train station there and it was also where it was like a close enough close to the main grocery store and I just went in to sort of get a coffee or something from a cafe there. So I know this is, yeah, this is a, uh, <laughs> this is great detail. No, but there is a point here. But Alex Carey, the team was staying very close by too, and Alex Carey, you know, this is four, oh, three or four days after the stumping, and Alex, you know, in theory, he should be public enemy number one or number two behind Cummins. And Alex Carey walked by with his young son, his, you know, Four, four-year-old son, or wherever he is, and walked by, and there was no one. No one noticed. Like he was not. He walked by completely unobtrusively. It wasn't as though these guys were being hounded, like you know that there were these war criminals. So I just think that at times there was a sense where, like, don't get me wrong, when they were out there and there was pantomime and there were the villains for sure, but I don't think it was quite as bad as as at times it may have appeared from afar because you saw the worst of it, but that was only a small fraction of what, what it was actually like. Okay. And game game day would seem particularly bad because everyone gets on the drink and they get the crowd mentality. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Six and a half. Well, good marks. Um, who says this podcast isn't balanced? All right. Um, next, last last second last question, but the, the last question to soft one. Um, do you think the Big Bash is... I think we've got two years now where there's actually been a bounce back of the Big Bash, and I think just generally, you know, it looks a, a lot better competition, and it's never going to get back to the the numbers it had maybe seven or eight years ago. But certainly, it's it's on the the right track. I agree. I agree. Uh, I think that's. Uh, I think it's a pretty good assessment. It's funny with the Big Bash; they, and you know, I covered it pretty closely there. Um, did a lot of cut a lot of big bash stuff, particularly with, with the Melbourne teams in and around sort of um, this sort of 16 to 8 to 19, 20 period, and and there was a period where you know I, th- I think the high watermark was that 15, 16 summer when it was just really embedded in the zeitgeist. I, I forget mm. all, all the you know BBL or whatever it was, but it was the one where the windies were out here. It was the, it was the don't blush baby summer, and yeah. Yeah, and if you leave that the specifics of that incident to one side. I think that really emphasised how much that was in the it was in the, in the zeitgeist. It was culturally embedded. It was so central to the conversation. It was more interesting than the much more interesting than the Test cricket because we had the West Indies out here and they were horrible. Um, it was getting better crowds, um, and that was the high point. And then they, you know, I think they they understandably thought there was a real appetite for growth. I mean, we look back now and say, how did they possibly let the BBL get to 14 games? We were calling for it. Like everyone was, mm. not everyone, but a lot mm. of people were calling for the BBL I was. to grow. Yeah, and then so I, I'm sure I was too, and it, and it was with good reason. There was a, you know, this is a really successful but, but, product that was looking to grow. 
yeah. Dan, just on that, Sorry. I think where I where I reflected on that and where I think I got it wrong was I underestimated how quickly the global market moved in T20 cricket and, yep. you know, the increase to 14 games in isolation wasn't a bad thing, but, you know, the, the, the international um, demands actually, that's what really added challenges to it. It, it did, and I think the other thing with the BBLs, what they've ultimately realised is it's is, and it's like cricket in this country generally. And you know, the th- you know the three of us all follow cricket very closely, twelve months a year. And um, but for the average consumer, you know, twenty twenty three really was an anomaly, an outlier because you had the Ashes and then to a lesser extent the World Cup, which really did capture the broader yeah. public imagination. But for the most part, the average Australian <laughs> cricket fan. Um, you know, really is is, is um, invested for six weeks a year, if that. It's a very narrow window, yeah. and um, and cricket Australia has, has um, you know, I, I think it was worth a try, but they probably realise now. Look, we've just got to try to win, um, you know, dominate the school holiday period, and yeah. I'm really really interested to see how it goes next summer, once we finally get this clear window um, with the mm. test stars. Yeah. available and hopefully you get Pat Cummins and Mitch Stark playing um, and whether they're allowed and, and, and Nathan Lyon who's not going to play all for the Renegades this season yeah. which is sort of a which is a shame but it's, it's going to be fascinating but look in short to answer your question um, yeah I think it's, it's heading back in the right direction and I don't know they're really gunning for to, to hit its straps in, in the next couple of summers to coincide with the India and the, and the England tools so, Dan, um, well, thanks for joining us on Cricket Unfiltered. It's been great to get you on. Uh, it's been far too long. I've been meaning to get you on for a long time, so it's great to talk to you. Um, so is the plan for you, will you go to the T20 World Cup this year or um, do you get more time with your beloved um, AFL? Oh, I thought you were going to say my beloved wife. Um, no, um, that too, that but, too. Um, I mean... Or she, or I suppose maybe AFL is my wife. Uh, not not quite confirmed yet at this point. Okay. Um, uh, New Zealand tour as well. Yeah, I, I, we ha- hasn't been decided definitively. I imagine I'll do some touring, but um, whether whether I'm here or not, whether I'm sorry, whether I'm there or not, I'll be uh, certainly keeping a very close eye on proceedings. And um, no, it's, it's, I feel very lucky. And really, thanks for have, guys for having me on. It's been uh, been good fun. And yeah, um, looking forward to doing it again. Well, Dan, thanks for coming on. Great to talk to you. Best of luck. Um, you can keep up with his work at Code Sports, so check him out there. One of the best. Love your work, around. Dan. Keep it going. Yeah. Happy touring. Thanks, Gav. Good on you. Bye bye. Right, that was Dan Cherney from Code Sports. A bit of a general look at things, Gav. I mean, we've got to wrap things up. I've been a minute, Gav. It was great to get Dan on. Just a couple of things I want to touch on before you go. Um, I think we have to speak about Elise Perry's 300th game yep. for Australia recently. Um, it was in the second T20 International versus India. Elise Perry played a match-winning knock of 34 net out of 21 balls. Australia levelled the series one all, so it was, a, it was a fitting result to befit such a grand occasion. And Matali Raj has the record for women's cricketers with 333 games, so Perry's got the most for an Australian player, but she's, she's catching Matali Raj very quickly. But it's quite a phenomenal uh, set of numbers, 300 games for your country. Add to that, she's also a dual international with the Matildas. She is one hell of an athlete. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, that, that, that 
the, the modern era. Uh, every time you talk about Australian sort of women's cricket, the first name that comes to your mind is Elise Perry. I think it'll be like that for a while now. We've been getting, you know, that of course we've had the legendary uh, Lanning and the Megan Schutz and, and, and the likes of, you know, Phoebe Litchfield, but Elise Perry, the face of, I think, you know, the, the women's sport taking off in Australia, women's cricket taking off in Australia, and she's always been the face of it. And phenomenal 300, great crowd as well. Um, and, you know, we maybe need to talk about that series sometime in our podcast because I think that India-Australia women's um, series overall has been fascinating. I, I think, mm. you know, I reckon that test match was one of the best tests we've had throughout the uh, throughout 2023, so we can talk about that. But um, until then, we can probably um, still continue to speculate that who's going to open the batting um, <laughs> at Adelaide Oval next week. Exactly. Um, and just on the, uh, just the, the last thing before, uh, just on the big bash, I've got the crowd figures here from the, the last few games and they are on, on an increase. So, you know, it's, it's great. If you, if you want thinking about going to the big bash, get out there because it is lots of fun. Um, the atmosphere is back and thoroughly recommend it. Well, Gav, it's been great to talk to you. Um, we have to get together soon and do a longer show. Yes. But, um, you know, I think um, the Australian team will be announced for the West Indies series uh, later this week. So, you know, at some stage we'll get jump back on and review that and, and get into that te- that series against India. They're going to play that decider. I think it's tonight or tomorrow night. So, yep. um, you know, Australia lost the test match, won the one-day series, and now they... Um, um, you know, now the, t- the T20 series is equal. Yeah. All right, Gav, we'll take care. Great to catch up. And listeners, thanks for tuning to Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks to Dan Cherney from Code Sports for jumping on, and we'll be back soon. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.